So if you have God's word, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 115, and we're going to be looking at, at verses 2 through 8 in just a moment. But as we are going to begin this practice in reading a, a statement of faith uh, in regards to really the spirit and the attitude in which we come to the, the word of the Lord together so that our heart might be open, our minds might be open And we are willingly saying, in a good attitude, we're willingly saying that, Lord, we want to hear from you. Amen. And I understand in the part where it says uh, inerrant, I understand in the Nazarene tradition, it is inerrancy in regards to all things that pertain to salvation. If you happen to look that up, somebody sent me an email and said, Pastor, this is what we think, this is what we believe. I understand that. But And so just, just roll with it, just go with me, okay, as we make this statement of faith together as we begin to look at the word of life. So let's read this together out loud as a congregation. I'm about to study the incorruptible, inerrant word of God. I open my heart to God's message. I humble my mind to his wisdom, and I rest my hopes on his grace. I will accept its rebukes with repentance. I will rejoice in its truth by faith and trust in its promises that can never fail. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can change what it says I can change. As I trust in his grace and spirit, I covenant with God that I'm ready to learn, I'm ready to grow, I'm ready to change and hide his word in my heart to honor Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. And all God's people said, amen and amen. So let's go to the word this morning. We go to Psalm 115 and we're going to read this together as we think about the theme. Of course, the theme has been you know, uh, to glorify God. I mean, what does it take for us to bring glory to really shine, you know, the light on the glory that is? I mean, there's not no human hand. There are no hands that can add to the glory of God. I mean, God is already glorified. If you agree with that this morning, say amen. Amen. So God is already glorified. And so we are shining the light on that glory. And and the Lord is kind of teaching us that we're using Psalm 115 to, to learn about it. So let's go there. Psalm 115, beginning at verse verse two. Why do the nations say, where is their God or God? Our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases him. But this their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak. Eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. Noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel. Feet but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them and so will all who trust in them. Let us pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word this morning. I pray that your anointing would be upon it and that, Father, again, that you would be glorified by, by everything that's said and done this morning. So, Lord, just to anoint the word, we ask this in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen and amen. I think it's interesting as we look at the passage this morning, um, the dichotomy that we really have here presented to us. I mean, in the first part of it, looking at verse 1 and 2, obviously, and, and really verse 3, you know, we have this... This focus or this direction that is that is towards God, that God is the creator of heaven and earth. Amen. And, and then there there is this redirection where in the last uh, part of the passage here, uh, God uh, is not spoken of, but idolatry is brought into view. So the focus then is kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. So if we're asking the question, I mean, think about this for a moment. If we're asking the question, how do we glorify God? 
Then the very opposite of that, that's what the psalmist has shown us, the very opposite of glorifying God is idolatry. And so what the passage shows us, really talking about idolatry in regards to the futility of idolatry, saying to us that 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 what is our idol or that what is taking the place of God cannot, you know, answer questions for us. I mean, this is really what this, these few verses are saying in the last part of the passage, passage, that that what is our idol, that what we worship, cannot answer questions for us when we are involved in idolatry. You know, idolatry cannot comfort us. It cannot, you know, it cannot love us, let alone give us purpose in life. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 44, looking at verse 9, we read a passage there that says, All who makes idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. And so as we study the word, I mean, all through the scripture, I mean, it is addressed. Idolatry is addressed, whether it's in, in Deuteronomy, Isaiah, or Jeremiah. It, it warns us against the habit of idolatry. In fact, it talks about a curse that follows those that are in the practice of idolatrous actions or taking action on something, you know, that that should not be a focus for a believer or for a Christian. And, and, and it's not just engraven images. I think that's important that we understand that because idolatry takes place. It begins in the heart and there in the heart, then there follows a, a, a product, a product of adulterous actions. Um, I like this one statement I came across. This one man said it like this. We cannot have fellowship with idols and the Lord at the same time. Think about that for a second. We cannot have fellowship with idols and the Lord at the same time. In fact, it's really a paraphrase of, of, of Scripture there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I think it's around verse 14. But, but what the psalmist is reminding us this morning is that, that idolatry is alive and well. How many believe that, that idolatry today, uh, the danger, the temptation of idolatry is alive and well? And and, you know, and I'm meddling just a little bit, I know, uh, and I did that a little bit, I think, a couple of weeks ago. But I, I, I want to talk about how does that affect us? I mean, how does that how does that hit us in the chest when we talk about the temptation of idolatry? Why does that apply to those of us that come to church and we call ourselves Christian? I mean, how does that apply to the believer? Well, there are things that I think sometimes that we can begin to focus on to the point where it begins to take the place and fill the space that should typically belong to our Father in heaven. And so I have some examples for you. If you want to fill in the blanks there, I want to invite you to do that. So I'm going to talk about idolatry of church leaders. Here's the first thing. I think here's the first temptation of idolatry that we might find in church. And the first one is, the first idea is strategy. That's right, strategy. And that kind of, again, that hits me right in the chest because I am kind of a strategist. I mean, I love to dream and I, I love to plan for the future. And too many churches have no plan and too many pastors are not planning for the future. But sometimes we can become so focused on our strategy. Now, go with me, church. Listen, sometimes we can be so focused on our strategy that our strategy begins to take place of Jesus Christ. And folks, when our strategy becomes more important than lifting up the message of Jesus Christ, we are on thin ice. Amen. And so I think even strategy can become, you know, kind of adulterous because we are we are forgetting the mission. We're forgetting the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the first one. Here is the second thing or the second temptation for church leaders, possibly. And that is the idolatry of alliances. <laughs> Again, I'm meddling. I may not have any friends left when I'm done this morning. I understand that. 
But sometimes I think we're so focused on our alliances or our, our friend, our group of friends that, that we become exclusive and we're no longer inclusive and we're no longer, you know, leaving the empty seat, so to speak. And so we're so exclusive and so excited about our, our, our group of friends that all of a sudden the mission begins to slide off the radar. Amen. And so we find ourselves in this danger zone. I, I love what Dr. Joe Watkins and I love Dr. Joe. He's getting ready to move to Pasadena, I think, uh, to, to really be an associate pastor there. One of our vice presidents at our Point Loma Nazarene University. But anyways, he shared with us not long ago this concept with our leadership called Mission Math. How many remember that? Anybody remember that? It's called Mission Math. And the idea is he draws on the whiteboard there the word mission or he writes the word mission. Then he puts a division sign over it. Okay, division sign outside of it on the left. He puts the word me and he says mission divided by me. That means me. That means, you know, what I want, what I think, what what I desire. And whenever you divide mission by me, it diminishes the mission. That's called Mission Math. It's a warning for us that that if we begin to focus on our alliances or the things that we think are important rather than the things that God has said that should be important to us, then we begin to get on thin ice and we're possibly moving away from God's plan and will for our ministry. So it's interesting how even idolatry idolatry can exist among, you know, those that that go to church. How about this one? Here's another one. Another temptation of idolatry. It could be in churches is uh, space. (laughs) That's right. Space. Sometimes people say, well, that's my seat. You know, don't sit in my seat or maybe that's my class or, you know, that's my my tool or or whatever it is that I'm, I'm using or the space that we're occupying. And and, and, and you know, it's, it's dangerous when we begin to be inflexible uh, or non-flexible in regards to how God is moving, you know, keeping the mission at the forefront, at the top of the list is so important for us. It's it's interesting when that happens. How there is like a cancer, a spirit that begins to, you know, seep into the church so very insidious and in which the mission cannot be accomplished. I I was blown away when a group of pastors and I, we were in a conference and we were visiting different churches and we visited a church in Florida and we came into this church and we had heard that the attendance of the church was 6,000. Now, imagine this, teens, the attendance of the church was 6,000. And then we attend the church for Sunday morning, one of the Sunday morning worship services. And I noticed this very small sanctuary. And I said, how many, how many people do you seat? And, and one of the ushers there said, well, we only seat 800. I thought you ran 6,000. Well, we do really more than 6,000 now. How are you running 6,000? You only have 800 seats. Well, you see, we use our spaces we use our classes and sanctuary in the gym. We use our spaces like six or seven times a weekend. I'm thinking, wow, they have no attitude here or bad attitude. There's no idolatry per space that's going on here. And so I, I, I know that, that we have to be careful that we do not slip into this temptation of idolatrous Actions and, and so idolatry is a concern here for the psalmist. The second idea that I want to share with you is that idolatry is a distraction from real values. Now, bear with me here. Idolatry is a distraction from real values. And, and I understand as a church, we value, we value certain things. We value the spiritual disciplines. I mean, that's the seek part of our mission, that we value the spiritual discipline of studying the word and being in Bible study and going to Sunday school together and, and breaking the word life as we do on Sunday morning. That we're studying God's word together. 
It's not just thoughts or ideas that a man has, but we want to know what God has for us. Amen. And so we value spiritual disciplines. We, we value serving others and we, we desire to get out into our community and, and go into the margins of, of our world and our, our society and make an impact on people's lives and, and meet people's needs. Amen. We value serving others. We, we, we value meeting Jesus. We, inv- we value the, the fact that we can encounter the living God, the creator of heaven and earth on Sunday morning. Amen. And we value sharing that with others. And they might be across the street. They might be at the workplace. They might be, you know, maybe it's a distant relative or somebody that has not heard of the message or heard of the story of who Jesus Christ is. We value the opportunity that we have to reach out and to share Jesus with other people. In fact, this weekend, we had a district assembly for the Southern California district, and it was a great assembly. And really the focus of the entire assembly was this part of, of, of our mission statement that is reach. It, it really, the focus was about reaching others for Jesus Christ. And, and that has to be on the top of the mission. I mean, if that is not on the top of who we are as a congregation, really who we are as a Christian, it's not on the top, then we're, we're missing the boat. Because then we become just a social organization, and there's a lot of those out there that are not Christian. But what, what exclusively makes us Christian is that Jesus Christ changes lives. Amen. Amen. And so we, we recognize that, that we value the idea of reaching others for Christ. And, and then as a person, we value a relationship with Christ. We value family. We value loved ones. We value the experience that we have you know, together as, as, as a church. And so there's these list of values that we say, this is what we value. Well, idolatry, what the psalmist is showing us here is that idolatry is a distraction from those values. And then the third thought here is that real values, if we're Christian, real values are kingdom values. How many agree with that this morning? Real values are kingdom values. And in fact, we see an example of this in Daniel Chapter 3, where the Babylonians sacked Jerusalem. How many of you remember that? Do you remember what happens there where the king comes in and he sacks Jerusalem? It's King Nebuchadnezzar and then, of course, cares off some of the Jewish people. And, and then there are those, the, the, the officials and the satraps and the prefects and all those that are, are jealous, you know, of these people that have been brought in really as slaves, as captives that are tremendously sharp and tremendously blessed. And they will not bow down and worship the king. And so they come up with this idea, well, king, what you need to do is build this, you know, this gold engraven image, this, this statue, and, and require everybody to bow down. And when the music plays, then people have to bow down. And, of course, you remember the story. In fact, let's go there. Go to Daniel, if you have God's word. Again, let's stay true to the word this morning. Go to Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to be... Uh, picking up there around verse three, just read a few verses there, and it just kind of reminds us of this real, uh, this this really great story um, that God gives us here in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter three, looking at verse three. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, sixty cubits high and six cubits wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. 
And so the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officers assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. So you can imagine now, here in your mind's eye, there is this, this crowd of people. I imagine a great crowd of people that have stood, are standing before this image that has been created here by King Nebuchadnezzar. And now they're going to be given their orders. And then in verse 4, then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, Pipe and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown in the blazing furnace. And it's interesting here. The story continues to unfold. And you remember the story as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's who it's about. You know, respond to this. And, and, and it's not the, it's not the response that those officials expected. Remember, they wanted them to bow down and worship this golden image. Now, what an image. This idol was 90 feet tall. I mean, that that is tall. 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they, they wouldn't bow down. And, and so what happens is the king calls for them and, and they heat up the furnace seven times hotter than normal. And this furnace in that day was built kind of a canonical shape or kind of like a volcano. And there was this ladder that went up the side and they said the volcano that was so hot, seven times hotter, that the soldiers that was throwing them into the furnace, the soldiers died because of the heat. And, and the way that I, I, I looked at some images of the typical type of furnace they might have constructed at that time and and there are these portals or these kind of windows or slots in the side and I imagine the king now not getting too close it's too hot but the king looking in and the king responding here the soldiers have died because of the heat and now the king is looking in expecting to see nothing and what does the king see he sees not three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but he sees four. He sees the shining light of the very Son of God himself standing with them in the midst of the fire. Ladies and gentlemen, that is just like God. He is the kind of God that in the midst of the fire, he stands with you. God does not forsake you. God does not let you go. God stands with you. I remember when the doctor came out and and spoke to my wife about our first child, and they said that there might be some issues. And then, you know, a few years passed, and we began to realize that there were some issues with our daughter. And we began to learn that our daughter, she is disabled. She has multiple syndromes, and she's triple X, and she's a Downs child, and autistic, and Tourette's, and mentally retarded. And she's, she has all these, these things that are... That are going on, and, and I imagine for 18 and 19 years, the nights that we cried together and we anguished together for her and for us. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm imagining in my mind's eye, how can I pastor and deal with this at the same time? And, and the only thing that I can say, listen to me, in the fire that God stood with us. 
that God stood with us. And I, I try to imagine how can I come to a church and hear God's voice and direct the church. And, and I can only because God stands with me. How can you make it in the next step? And how are you going to make it in the next chapter of life? God will stand with you. Amen. That's the kind of God we serve. He is a God that is in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through in life. And I praise the Lord for that. I, I, I love how... How God makes his message clear. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed in the great imagery of God that he his presence, his message, or let me say the narrative of God's story is so very clear. It begins in the very beginning in the book of Genesis when he gives us the image of the great expanse of the universe. And then he speaks, you know, and the world comes into being and there is the the, the planet and all the water. He speaks again and then there is the dirt and there is the ground. And, and then he speaks again and there's this great imagery of how God creates. Amen. And then we go into the New Testament and he, and we read about the nations and the kings and the good kings and the bad kings. And we get this idea of how the world is being settled. He's speaking through the great imagery and the creation of, of his involvement in mankind. We go to the New Testament and then we have the imagery of the cross that is looming bigger than life. Amen. And it's interesting that that cross, that cross cannot be destroyed. <laughs> Heidi and I have been to over, I think, 30 countries around the world in, in ministry and missions and, and personal time and and in and, and every country that we go to, whether it's the Western Bloc or the Eastern Bloc or whether it's Far East, wherever it is we go, folks, there are crosses everywhere. There are crosses, I mean, all around the globe. And I think it's so fun because I even see people that are in Hollywood wear crosses around their neck and on their wrist or their anklets or whatever. And they're people that don't even know what the cross stands for. But wow, what an imagery that God has given us and the reminder of what the cross means. Amen. And so God makes it so clear to us his narrative, his story. And it's no different in this passage, in this story that I'm referring to in Daniel chapter 3, because he gives us this spectacular image of the 90-foot statue, as if he is asking the question of the three characters in the story. He's asking the question, what do you value? And their actions, their response says, we value relationship with God. I, I wonder, let me ask this question. In this story there in Daniel, do you think that God was glorified? And of course, that's rhetorical. I mean, God did deliver them and he did respond to them. But 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 the question is, was God glorified in their willingness to be sacrificial? Because sometimes to stand for Jesus, there is going to be sacrifice that is required. And sometimes to stand for Jesus, it just might mean that you might have to suffer a little bit to be able to say, yeah, I, I stand for Jesus. You see, part of shining the light on God's glory is giving him the chance to shine. Do you understand what I'm saying with that part? Let me say it again. Part of shining the light on God's glory is giving him the chance to shine, to recognize who God is through Jesus Christ. Now, remember the conversations of Christ. I mean, remember the things that Jesus said, the things like when he said, if you know me, you know the father. Or when he said, I and the father are one. Or when he said, you do my will. 
you're doing the will of the Father, all bringing focus to the intimacy of the triune God. No, no question about that. But also it is revealing the glory of a Father in heaven who loves us and became flesh on our behalf and for his creation. But it's showing us as we look at this passage is that we, when we accept the Son, listen to this, when we accept the Son, we shine light on the Father. You see, the theme, we glorify him by knowing Jesus. That's what this means. So, so where idolatry does nothing for us, I mean, that's the other end of the spectrum. Idolatry, the problem of idolatry, where idolatry does nothing for us, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus Christ does everything for us. He does everything for us. And, and knowing Jesus transforms us. And there are many ways that Jesus changes our identity. I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is you know the person of Jesus and you begin to know salvation. You take time to know the person of Jesus and salvation becomes a reality for us. And you, you know Jesus as the person and then you begin to know yourself. And the more that you know yourself, the more that you know that you need Jesus. Amen. You know Jesus and the more that you get to know the person of Jesus, the more that you know that Jesus loves you and the love of Jesus changes things. Why? Because now you realize that you're valued in the eyes of your creator and that God loves you. And the more that you know Jesus, the more that you realize that you are a part of something that is bigger than yourself because Jesus is a savior for all mankind. I believe that with all my heart. Jesus is a savior for all mankind and we are ambassadors for Christ. God has called us to that. So what am I saying this morning? I want to sum this up. I'm saying this, you know, you can make a difference. Mission church, teenagers, youth, whomever you may be, you can make a difference. You say, well, pastor, how can I really make a difference? I mean, if I were to share Jesus and by the way, I, I don't know if I really know how. Maybe you're thinking that you say, well, how can can I really make a difference? Well, folks, you can make a difference. I mean, just bit by bit, step by step. I mean, little by little. I I, I love the story I, I stumbled across. Really is a story I heard on the radio one day. They were talking about the mother of Balboa Park. Anybody know who I'm talking about? The mother of Balboa Park. Some of you raised your hand. That is a story of a woman whose name is Catherine Olivia Sessions. She's a worldwide recognized horticulturist, a florist, a nursery woman, a landscape designer. And, and, and I think she's passed now. Um, but but she, she is remembered for the fact that she decided that she wanted to impact San Diego in a positive way because San Diego was like a desert. And now it's this oasis, this resort, this getaway people love coming to. And what she did, what she's remembered for, listen to this, this is phenomenal, is what she's remembered for is that she planted 100 trees every year for 61 years. Can you imagine that? 100 trees every year for 61 years. And I'm thinking in my mind's eye, I mean, if this woman was driven, you know, motivated to impact a city for the cause of plants, how motivated should we be? For the cause of the kingdom of God. How motivated should we be to share Jesus Christ with that neighbor across the street or that person that we carpool with or that person that we work with? I mean, how motivated should we be to be burdened for those that are yet to meet our Savior, Jesus Christ? Amen. And you see, the direct opposite of glorifying God 
is idolatry. You see, God has called us to find purpose and meaning in life and to shine the light on his glory. And we shine the light by knowing Jesus and sharing Jesus with other people. And I believe the church will be blessed when we do that and we share Jesus with other people. I want us to stand. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, let's stand together. And as we pray, I'm right on the hour, perfectly right on the hour. As we pray, I'm going to pray that God would speak to your heart. And maybe, church leader, there has been a temptation of idolatry. I hope not. Maybe the focus has been wrong. Maybe the attitude is a little disjointed. And, and maybe it's possible that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, church member, church leader, attender, about, what, about your own life. And, and it's possible that God might be revealing to you somebody that is yet to hear about who Jesus Christ is. People are waiting. They're waiting to hear about who Jesus Christ is. You know, Vacation Bible School is coming up. And I believe that it's possible that there are families that you know, or at least maybe one family that you know that has children. What would happen if we, all of us, were to invite a family to bring their kids to vacation Bible school? I mean, what would happen if, if we opened a door other than Sunday morning? I mean, we have a door open on Sunday when we can bring somebody that does not know Jesus to meet Jesus. We can do that on Sunday. But there are not many other doors open. And so VBS is a way that we're swinging a door open to invite people that have kids, to bring them, invite them to come to Mission Church of the Nazarene, that God might be glorified. And I believe, you know, that's one way that we can glorify Him. We can reach out. We can share Jesus with somebody. Invite them. Have them come with you to church or invite them to come to Vacation Bible School. And I believe God will bless that. Let's pray. Precious Father in heaven, we just worship you today. We thank you for being our God and our King. I thank you, Father, for the challenge that we heard at, at our, our district conference this weekend. That there are a lot of people in this world that are just waiting to hear something about you. There's people that are waiting to hear an answer for the questions. And Jesus, I believe you're the answer. I pray that, Father, that you would speak to that heart. I pray that you'd speak to that one, that one soul this morning that has been maybe, maybe they've just kind of been floundering or maybe there's been no purpose in life. I pray, Father, that purpose would come like a laser beam to that heart this morning as they come to know you. And maybe that one today is saying, Jesus, I want to know you. Lord Jesus, I want you to bring purpose to my life and focus right now this morning. Maybe it's possible that the Lord is laying on your heart today, that, that family. And maybe you've kind of written, written them off. But the Lord is stirring your heart. And, and maybe there's amends that need to be made. And then you would invite them and ask them to walk with you. And to walk with Jesus, more importantly. And, and so, Father, I pray that you would just help us to open new doors into our community. So that people might meet Jesus. Help us, Father in heaven, to bring glory to you, to shine the light, Lord, on your glory, that others might see that. And, Father, that you will be lifted up because of it. So, Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for touching and ministering to that home right now, that family right now, giving purpose to that individual, that, that young person, Lord, this baby just looking for something. I pray that you just answer their prayers. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus for giving us this chance, this opportunity to bring glory to you. We 
worship and we praise your holy name.